Hello and welcome to Expats of Eden, musings on God, the Bible, the world we know, and the world beyond. My name is Thornwinter. Episode 1, Be Still. Dedication. To God my Father, who leads me beside still waters. To Jesus Christ, my Savior and Lord, who walks beside me. To the Holy Ghost, who stirs my heart and dwells within me. To Rebecca, my unexpected blessing, who brings me great joy. And to all weary travelers upon the trail, may the Lord find you, bless you, and keep you. Amen. Every year since I began this project, I reflect on the words to use to frame this story. I've attempted to abrogate my own musings and blunt the more damning passages, but ultimately, I have to set this collection loose at some point. This truth was hammered into me quite clearly this holiday season, as, for better or worse, this was the final holiday season of my quote-unquote childhood. Make no mistake, I'm nearly 30 years old. I've lived on my own. I've held down career-oriented job positions. I've managed my own business, done my own tax returns, claimed itemized deductions, diversified my retirement portfolio. I've loved and lost. I've led scores of people in the production of commercial and private films, and I've shouldered legitimate responsibility. I've been adulting since I decided to never work for anyone else again in high school and set out to carve my own path in the world. I am a man. What am I? You see, I've never led, truly led, a household of my own. Now, I've lived in an apartment by myself and accumulated the takeout containers and general disarray of the bachelor's life, uh, but I've never taken on the task of establishing and caring for a family. And as the Bible describes the leaving of home into marriage as a definitive step from childhood to adulthood, I realize that I have, until this writing, neglected the enormity of that next step. For in a month's time, I will be married, and I will be truly and irrevocably leaving from home to set out on that journey with my bride. People keep asking me if it feels real yet, and I keep saying, oh yeah, for sure. But I realized the actual gravity of the situation had never fully dawned on me. It hasn't been lost on those around me, though. I noticed last night, well into January at this point, that my parents still have not taken down their Christmas decorations, nor their children's stockings from the fireplace. As I looked upon the Christmas tree and the decorations surrounding it, I reflected at how much history hung upon its drying boughs. Now decades of homemade decorations, fading photographs of my siblings taken and developed in an age before the ubiquity of smartphones and social media. I saw decorations hung in 1996, the year that I got my Nintendo 64. I saw decorations commemorating my sister's first Christmas in 1998, the year, 21 years past, that I discovered that I wanted to be a filmmaker. And I saw decorations that I remember from my very earliest years, before I had siblings, holdovers from my parents' lives before they set out together in marriage, the paint fading and chipping away, but the precious memories remain. And I realized that next year, my Christmas will be very different. My wife and I will have a tree of our own, hang our stockings above our own fireplace, and we'll begin an ornament collection for ourselves our own family's stories memorialized in iridescent vinyl and ceramic. I realized that leading up to Christmas, my parents were more deliberate in spending time with me and my siblings. I realized that there was an estrangement that set in when I was a teenager. I realized that my older relatives have spoken more openly about seeing the family more. I realized that our family has grown smaller through death and larger through birth. 
I realize that my quote-unquote family, the people I spend Christmas with each year, is markedly different now than when I became self-aware many years ago. Ultimately, I realize that an era is about to end, and I have absolutely no idea where the time went. I realize now what this book has represented, because it begins and ends the same way, with the trail, love, and the Lord. I'm about to become a married man, and so it's only fitting to commemorate this season of change with the story of how this all came about. And with that, welcome, fellow expats of Eden. I went out walking tonight. No music, no audiobooks, no podcasts, no companions, no phone calls. Just me, the night, the trail, and the Lord. The new year has arrived, and unlike the years before, an abiding peace has come with it. For the first time, January is well underway, and my heart wants for nothing. That's incorrect. My heart wants for nothing tangible, but deep within my soul cries out for something I have no words for. And so, deep in longing, I traverse the paved trails of the Appalachian foothills, abiding in God and listening for his still voice among the night's music. By my journey's end, I had heard nothing, but felt his hand guide my heart. How different things are now. There was a time when I would gladly boast of hearing his voice and revel in the spiritual highs accompanying worship, when I was righteous in myself in every way and did not hesitate to let anyone know. That was the time of infancy, before this book was written. Throughout its composition, and even in the time it's remained in the trunk, it's been a year now, how can that be? My path has crested many mountains and traversed many valleys, and a great deal of baggage has been left by the trailside for the best. I still draw breath, however, and so I cannot lie to myself or to you, listener, and claim that this book will adequately summarize my travels. My travels will continue until my eyes close in death, and I'm certain that just as I look upon this book with wiser, alien eyes a year after its first draft completion, that wisdom will only grow by the grace of God so that the man who walks among these pages will seem a complete stranger to me when I again take it off the shelf. I came to love it as a child and source of pride and to hate it as a damnable idol and written record of all that has transpired within the darkness of my fallen heart. If it were my choice, this book would remain a handwritten manuscript gathering dust on an upper shelf. But it is not my choice. This volume comprises a more honest accounting of my own sin and struggle in faith than I had contemplated when it first began. But it's not in perfection that we find God. No, while God is perfect, it's through our imperfections, our brokenness, that he is most readily revealed because in those moments we desperately seek to be fixed and he alone can and will mend us if only we seek him out. For the Lord sought me while I was a stranger, and I am still very prone to wander. But the Lord became flesh to redeem sinners, though he owed us nothing, and of all sinners I am the greatest of all. So, just as this book was started, so it will be published. I owe this book to God and can only pray that what lies within might help someone on their own trail. If the Holy Spirit has inspired but a single sentence within these pages, if but one reader might come to know Christ, then this travel trail will be worthwhile. As it is, the time is now. My heart has been moved in the stillness of the night to revisit those forgotten days many miles ago. June, 2015. I had made the trek nearly every weekend for the last four years. But that final drive home from college was perhaps the strangest I'd ever taken. 
I-16 West was gridlocked at Dublin, so I left the highway to travel county roads. Not sure what towns I passed through along the way, only that what should have been a four-hour drive became an all-day affair, and that my hangover was the least of my concerns. The night prior, in drunken revel alongside my fellow graduates, I'd confessed my years-long affection to a woman that I had no business loving. Uh, she was polite about it, but made it quite plain that it would never work. My cousin drove me home and I passed out, only to awake the next morning to the horror at what I had done. As far as drunken faux pas, it was mild, but I laid out my self-judgment all the same. What a schmuck. The embarrassment of that moment haunted my odyssey through the country that surely inspired Flannery O'Connor's finest works. But even the shame of my lost composure could not hold a candle to the emotion that was beginning to form in the pit of my stomach. It was something that I couldn't quite describe, but I will now and forever associate with the highways in hiding, the Talmadge Bridge over the Savannah River, Spanish moss hanging in the trees, and the sound of Audrey Hepburn singing Moon River. It was a desire for something, everything, to be set right. It was a desire for the entire life preceding this moment to be set on kilter and for the rough patches to be smoothed over. It was something that I had never experienced before, and I found myself quite desperately, yet in vain, trying to dispel it. If only I could give it a name, then it would lose its sway over my heart. But the road was long, and there was no one to inquire of to set my mind at ease. I found I-75 in McDonough and continued towards Atlanta. It had been a long day, and by the time I arrived at home, the feeling had given way to the bustle of getting my life settled in. For a time. Considering that my final graduation date coincided with my birthday, and considering that the majority of my friends from college were moving to Atlanta following graduation, and considering that the last day of college had negated any possible opportunities for me to go camping or even enjoy my own company, I invited everyone on my shortlist to a weekend of camping and fun that I dubbed a graduation birthday bash, just a week after we had all said farewell to the coast. Everyone made it. And for the first and last time, that group was all in one place, gathered on a mountaintop in Appalachia, enjoying one last rager before the great inevitability of life set in. It was a typical college party. There was alcohol, a lot of ultimately empty talk, and good-natured beratement. As the night wore on, I became acutely aware of my role as an outsider in the group. I could drink with the best of them, but I went camping to be outside, to engage in nature, not to necessarily have a good time. There came a moment during that night where I was walking off trail through the woods and caught myself plotting my advance through the brush based off of pre-blazed animal trails that were barely perceptible to the naked eye. Suppose I had always subconsciously done this when hiking off trail, but it was the first time I ever caught myself doing it. I was intrigued by the fact that I was perceiving paths laid by animals that knew the lay of the land better than I ever could, and following them wherever they may lead, despite having a distinct bearing on my destination. Later in the night, I found myself choosing green branches to use to roast hot dogs and marshmallows based off of whether or not they were bearing leaves. I found that spiderwebs encompassing these branches indicated that they were dead or dying, and that these branches snapped off with ease without damaging the tree, while still retaining some green in them that would prevent them from burning. There was something in this innocent discovery that triggered a sense of awe and wonder at the human condition that we were created to tend the earth in Eden, and that we had foregone that responsibility and experience along with every other one of God's blessings. Once everyone had retired for the night, I made my way out into the meadow beyond our campsite and sat overlooking the mountains to the west. 
thick blanket of cloud had covered the entire night sky until this moment when, as if by an unseen hand, the clouds parted to reveal the majesty of the Milky Way, the light pollution from the distant cities partially abated by the thick clouds that still covered the stratosphere. I sat in awe of the majesty of it all, and in that moment I understood the meaning of Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. And still I was. I was so still that I fell asleep beneath that incredible sky. When I awoke, just before sunrise, something inside of me had changed. And so it began. I went back to the woods a few times in the month that followed, once to play a survivalist version of paintball that utilized slingshots instead of guns. We set out, alone, to different points on the property and set up our own camps before commencing to hunt each other down like animals. Unfortunately, it began to rain late in the day, and so the game was called off. Another time, we went out for my friend's birthday, and I found myself separating from the car camping group to explore the wilderness alone, discovering some old Cherokee rock formations and other such nuggets of wilderness gold in the process. I found it unbelievably hard to convey my sense of wonder and awe at what I had experienced, and once again, despite being amongst friends, I found myself an outsider. Then again, a solo camping trip which led to an exploration of the cliffs and caves on the northern end of the property. I'd forgotten all about the shame of that long drive home and instead my heart was pounding with the rising tide of that foreign emotion that I could not name. I was addicted. In the last days of June, I found myself feverishly dreaming of the forest. I could not escape the desire and the need to return to nature and believed very deeply that to do so was not only essential to my psychological health, but also to my spiritual growth. That feeling of intense longing that I had first experienced on my ride back from college resurfaced, and I found my daylight hours haunted by its shadow and my nighttime hours lost in dusky dreams of mountain twilight, that desire for renewal and wholeness saturating the starry skies and everything around me. I had to discover its name. Surely then I could master it. I'm not sure how I stumbled across its proper name. Looking back, it's remarkable that out of everything that struck me about that season in my life, the definitive naming of this newfound emotion barely registers. I remember where I was when I found it, the back corner office at my day job, Suite 4 was its official moniker. The music that I discovered in the process, Fleet Foxes and Iron and Wine seemed to embody it the most and the ensuing obsessive research over it that led me into the more philosophical works of C.S. Lewis and the venerable Henry David Thoreau. But I have no recollection of how I found the name of the emotion itself. No matter. The name, it turned out, was Zinsut. Zinsut is a German word that translates to, quote-unquote, longing. But the consensus is that this particular emotion is far deeper than a mere desire. It is a longing for something beyond this mortal world, an appetite and thirst for an experience that truly transcends. C.S. Lewis contended that this desire, absent finite means of satisfaction, was evidence of the existence of the infinite, the divine, God. Zenzut. It is the something that arrives with the first cool winds of autumn, shaking the leaves from skeletal trees. It is something vast, serene, and mysterious, as if one were standing on the veiled threshold of something beyond oneself as one's truest family marched onward through the haze. The feeling of anticipation, 
peace with a purpose, the feeling that the veil will fall to reveal perhaps one's true home, perhaps a life separate from the status quo, so completely obvious, but as of yet, enshrouded and unrealized. It's a peaceful feeling, but one of calling and yearning, not of want nor deficit necessarily, but of communion with the divine. I'm convinced that this feeling is the latent genetic memory that every single human being has, that ineffable knowledge that something in this world is inextricably broken, that something is missing. My life has always been a veritable utopia. I have never had any want, I have never had any real worry. I had a steady job, working in my field, and a regular income because of it. By all accounts, I was successful, but I couldn't shake that intense longing for something deeper, something more. I felt like an exile, an expatriate, discontent with urban settings and a workaday world. I began to hunger for genuine communion with God apart from our civilization. Civilization, I reasoned, feared no God. The postmodernists, after all, had killed him. So in a moment of clarity, I made my decision. I decided I would disconnect and make good on a goal that had haunted me for years. I would go into the woods and survive as primal man to experience the source of mankind's wonderings. Eden. Fellowship between God, man, and creation. This, I reasoned, is what I longed for. And it called me back to the woods, to the mountains, back to a place where time stands still and a man can truly be still and know that God is God. And so, on July 1st, 2015, I finished my work early and went on vacation. Thank you for listening to this episode of Expats of Eden. If you like what you hear, please consider subscribing to our audio podcast via iTunes or your favorite podcatching platform. All illustrations and text of... All illustration and text of Expats of Eden is available at thornwinter.com. Expats of Eden is a production of Thorns Attic, LLC. All rights reserved.